0: Remember the Burgmuller's piece that everybody wants to play, the arabesque, that thing. So there is that transition from the first section to the second section that nobody can ever play. This is my version of this. Because the original one was uh, something like... wonderful music and usually a a good stopping point for learning this and for the recital, it's just a sure way that it's gonna crash.
1: I'm Ben Capello, and welcome to All Keyed Up Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Misha V. Stefanuk. Misha Stefanuk is a prolific jazz and classical pianist, organist, and composer with over a 100 TV credits, ranging from Good Morning America to One Life to Live. His fun and easy personality have led his piano studio to thrive since 1986. Misha's students include numerous first place winners for the Georgia Reflections Composition Competition, Chopin Young Artist Competition, and the Duquesne Young Artist Competition, and a finalist in the NAACP ACTSO Competition. Many of his students have have graduated from prestigious music colleges across the United States, and many have received substantial music scholarships. Misha has published over 25 books on music and piano, and five of them ended up on bestseller lists, including 100 Easy Piano Classics, which reached number one over all of sheetmusicplus.com. Misha, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for
0: having me. It's a pleasure.
1: Your teaching style definitely draws from your background in classical jazz and contemporary music. Many teachers, including myself, aim to incorporate all of these styles to some extent in their lesson, but few approach them with quite the level of rigor that you do. So I'm interested in when you teach a single lesson with a student that goes through pieces in different styles. Do you try to teach with a through line connecting everything, or do you kind of teach in blocks and do maybe 10 minutes on the classical piece and then switch gears, 10 minutes on a pop piece? and both curriculums operating somewhat independently?
0: So everything you mentioned can happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, It depends on uh, where the student is currently. Uh, A lot of times playing popular music or jazz music is a nice detour from playing classical music for a while or Mm -hmm. vice versa. Um, A lot of times when I get younger people who already play pop music, uh, they are a lot more inefficient with reading music and, and playing classical music. So for them, that would be a detour. Uh, sometimes, especially when we have competitions coming, you have to touch base on everything. For example, if you have three different pieces and two of them are going to the two different competitions, then you have to at least go through parts of a, a, every one of them. So you never know what you're going to get. And, and one of the points about teaching piano that everybody universally agrees upon is we have to make progress in every lesson. We have to start with something that is not so good. And uh, that particular thing needs to get better by the end of the lesson.
1: And and when you say you need to make progress, perhaps towards a competition, do you feel that there's any significant difference in in how you get started on preparing a more popular piece for a competition versus a more classical piece? Or would you say you kind of have a single teaching approach that you feel can apply across multiple styles? That is an interesting question to ask. I think I approach everything
0: uh, sort of the same because I don't really see uh, that fundamental difference between classical music and non-classical music per se. I think music is music, and although it has uh, different characteristics and, and different things come into the play, music is music.
1: I definitely agree about music is music. This reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which is by Duke Ellington, and it's, there are simply two kinds of music, good music and the other kind. I do want to talk about at least some service level differences, though, across these styles and get your opinions. So I want to talk about articulation and phrasing. Although, of course, there's a wide range of music that falls under the banner of pop and under the banner of classical. Can you talk about how you would work with a student on phrasing on a piece by Mozart as compared to, say, a pop arrangement?
0: All of my students from very little kids, uh, we always sing everything. Okay. So if I'm playing something with the very beginning instrument, it's like So when you try to play something like And then you listen to Friedrich Golda play this, for example, or you listen to Swingle Singers, which was a French pop group that, that sang everything. So there's a very beautiful soprano singing like hmm. And then you try to play it the same way so it doesn't sound like yeah then if that was a madonna song with that then of course you listen to like literally 20 seconds of madonna and you realize that that synthesizer that's playing is like right so the uh, the, the difference is pretty obvious and then you just like that it may be more like I say uh, so and in the elements of groove and you uh, talk about how if you're playing on the piano the first thing that you're missing is a drummer. So guess who becomes a drummer <laughs> yeah okay. so that that, that, that banging uh, on the piano in, in uh, more contemporary more popular music is essential because, you're covering up the drummer not being there. And then on the top of this, you also listen to how she sings. And there's nothing in the lines of like Madonna doesn't sing like that, right? It would be more like very articulate, very everything. Everything is an accent. Everything is in, in your face. And then you talk about different hmm. concepts, because for Mozart, Mozart does have groove. But it's a different groove. It's a very mellow, very cautiously trying to fill out what the groove is going to be by the time we get to, you know. So before you get there, that, that, that doesn't exist.
1: That's very interesting. So do you have them sing it before they start learning it? Or is it more like first learn the notes and rhythms and then sing it? Back and forth. Yeah. I like that idea of that across classical and perhaps jazz and pop style freely go back and forth as you learn the piece between playing and singing as a way to learn what articulations and kind of phrasing you want um, and that's interesting that that applies across all these different styles um, another question related to classical and popular music i've had a lot of instances um, in my studio where teenage students come to me with amazing ears and a lot of improvisation skills and they can play elaborate arrangements of pop songs that they've heard on the radio but they have basically no note reading abilities and kind of a poor technique have you ever had this happen in your studio and can you talk about how you would with a student like that?
0: Oh, it happens all the time. Because uh, somehow the system that we have does not supply people who are talented with enough information, and and therefore they learn what what they can get their hands on. I mean, it started with jazz. I mean, most of the jazz people did not read music so well at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting conversation because one thing that happens is once they get in my studio, they start kind of being exposed to this holistic idea of music the career who passed away a few days ago um yeah. the very first episode that he did online the recording he played uh, one of the Mozart sonatas and uh, mm. that's what i've been doing since the january last year but, but 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 and you realize that since the people who are monstrous and and wonderful for some reason, play some classical music. It doesn't mean that they have to, because the, the other part of this is the human relations with the students. So you can't just tell them, uh, go eat broccoli, it's good for you. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a bad teaching method. Mm-hmm. You could eat broccoli yourself, you could try to cook it better, um, and, and maybe they will be somewhat receptive to the idea at some point. But if they only wanna play... Uh
1: Yes, that's the famous one.
0: <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's wonderful. And, and you play that for a while. And then you talk about, um, here's my other conversation. There are oral cultures and there are written cultures. And we by far are a written culture. And the advantage is editing. If you are doing oral culture and nothing, you don't have any score for anything. That's impossible. Because what you said is what you said. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, When you're little and your parents are reading books to you, which I have two kids and I've done, I can tell stories, probably about four of those. And then you realize that my oral tradition is done. Uh, I don't remember any more than this. So the ability to write things down and edit them is a very intricate part of what we do. And that also allows for significantly more elaborate and more complicated subject matters and, and and the way the way the music particularly develops.
1: Yeah, I've had a lot of moments like that in my studio when teaching composition is when I take a student who starts with improvisation work and has been improvising and improvising, and then they first try composition. And we talk about, as you say, editing, and you can see on their faces that they've never done something like that before. The idea that, oh, I can rethink something I did. And that does go to, I think, to what you're talking about, about a written culture. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit going on improvisation about jazz. You've written several jazz method books, such as Jazz Hannon and Jazz Piano Lessons. Can you talk about those books a bit?
0: Absolutely all of them were written because i needed them generally all mm-hmm. of my books except for the first five were written because i needed them in teaching and i was getting uh not extremely happy with what i could get my hands on. uh the jazz piano lessons is step by step it's like literally you come to the first lesson and and you're explaining being explained so okay we're gonna deal with the concept of blues and concept of boogie woogie and that's what it is that's a c, c energy. That's the and then it goes up. And, down. and as long as you're playing that, that's the C chord. So when the chord says F, you do the same thing from the F. Mm-hmm. And then it immediately goes and, like, okay, so now we're going to play 12, 12 bar blues. I'm not going to play the whole thing. Uh, not now that uh, I'm going to go through a couple of pages that I just sent to you so you can look at them. Page 11. So left left hand is what I'm saying. And then uh, what we've talked about earlier is uh, what the chords in the right hand actually are. So right now the chord on C is this. And we've talked and spent some time with inversions, meaning moving same notes. Up. Mm-hmm. So for this page, it's the right hand is this. Not necessarily that super easy, but possible. And I've had people hmm. from seventh graders, maybe sixth graders going through this. I've had college students getting college uh, graded for playing through that book in the semester. That's about mm-hmm. how long it takes. Uh, if you go to the next page, the left hand is mm-hmm. the same. The right hand has only written. There is I no next. So you're probably going to start doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> and I'm going to say, wait, wait a minute. Is that the only thing that you can play there?
1: Can you play a different C chord? Oh, so you leave the the voicing up to the students in this instance. Like, okay, so that's a
0: different different C chord. And then, okay, so next one is F. So let's do a simple one, right? We're gonna kind of talk about how that's a nice F chord, but it doesn't have six or seven. So I let's see. let's see what will happen if we add the hmm. right. Would that be better? but it's kind of like guided meditation. It's constantly, it'll give you the piece that is all written out. And sometimes it's it's like brutally busy, something in lines of. And so we go through it one time and they look at me. I was like, you don't have to actually learn this. What you do with this is you look at this and then you go to the next page, which has rhythmic notation and you do something like that. So how complicated is it going to be? It doesn't have to be any particular level. If, you, if you're happy playing this, I'm happy for you.
1: I really like this progression of starting out with writing everything first, but then taking a step back and simplifying the notation and leaving more choices up to the students, which is what you do in the jazz piano lessons book and also your jazz hand in books. I don't know if you know the series Pattern Play by Forrest Kinney, but although it's not exclusively in a jazz style, it's a similar sequence of first writing out full examples and then moving more towards things like chord charts and styles of notation where some of the performance decisions are left up to the student. I'll leave links to the pages you just spoke about in the show description so everyone can see an example of the boogie-woogie lesson plan that you describe in your books.
0: Right. The, the Hanans, since you mentioned it, there are actually three, three different books of Hannons, and they're very different. Uh, the, the the first one is just a Hannon, but transposed in every single key, which is the supposedly the secret of the Russian school from the 20th century. Oh. So you don't okay. just play this. Then you go to the... Interesting. And then you go through all of the keys, the advantage of this is Hanon is great. It uh, does not take that much brain power to play Hanon, so you'll be happy with your student. They're going to be happy with you. The disadvantage is the piano has black keys. And Hanon becomes very useless <laughs> when you get into that area mm-hmm. because y- you by no means are developing the skill of raising the fingers to actually go on mm-hmm. the black keys. Black keys are a big problem because they're shorter, they're higher there are different dynamic level and all this so that's one book uh then there are two books and and one of them is uh harmonic hannon so it's like for example use uh, take the c13 chord the whole thing right and you do something in lines of-
1: oh okay or like-
0: it into your system and you have to like you know that when you practice by yourself you have to play the bottom the bass note on the bottom because if nobody is playing it you can't hear Mm -hmm. it and it's all about hearing and the third one is uh just like sort of kind of uh, book but with a lot less words and a lot more examples when you do that it's not one of the examples, but that's the the concept. So you are playing the little bebop sort of sounding phrases and then you're going with them through all keys Hmm. with the hopes that some of that is gonna stick and then you're gonna be able to spit something like that out while you're playing. So uh, it has a lot of commonalities with language and there's a common language in every particular music style and that's what makes better musicians fit in with particular styles better.
1: I do want to pivot a bit and talk about another area where you dabble in a lot of styles, which is arrangements. You offer a very large number of easy piano arrangements across all genres, from Chopin to uh, Mariah Carey. I know many of our listeners are also interested in using simplified arrangements of well-known works on their students. Can you talk a little bit about your arrangements?
0: As you have said, I have a lot of popular music. I have some jazz music. I have a lot of church music, and I have tremendous amount of classical music. Uh, my book 100, uh, 100 Easy Piano Classics was number one bestseller all over the sheet music class uh, about three times for extended period of time so it generally was selling better than just about anything um, there is an earlier book by James Bastian with the same name and even some pieces are similar there's differences in what I do because in Bastian I was always confused by his way of arranging things because some things are almost exactly like what it was. And, 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 and then you change a couple of notes somewhere at the end. And that, that, that does seem to be hmm. unnecessary and also still very difficult. Hmm. So my concept is this. Um, I also subscribe to the idea that for the most part in all music, classical, jazz, or popular, melody is in one hand and accompaniment is in another hand. Mm-hmm. So if you are playing Jingle Bells, that, that is right hand. Mm-hmm. And the left play, hand plays something to go with this. And a, a lot of what the left hand parts are is uh, chord structures somehow I- I- exploded I- explored into some sort of style musical style Mm -hmm. that is appropriate for that particular era
1: and what you're describing now you would say is true across styles whether you're arranging something by mozart or arranging something by mariah carey you want the you the way you think of it is the melody in the right hand and some sort of a chord structure or Mm -hmm. pattern in the left hand okay
0: it's just like when you play mozart sonatas which Mm -hmm. i just recorded all of them how often is the left hand playing solo
1: yeah not very often
0: not very often at all (laughs) Uh, unless you're talking about box music and then you kind of yeah you kind of get get to grow to, to, to that level. Yeah. Um, hand size is a big deal problem because if I'm dealing with older people who are not professional piano players, if I'm dealing with little kids, all of them have
1: octave if that. So every time you have
0: that it ain't
1: gonna happen yeah i've had a lot of situations with my own students where i give them arrangements of something that is completely at their playing level except for the fact that the left hand has octaves and just that yeah. alone becomes a deal breaker and i have to change it
0: yeah and, and mine all are coming they're, they're very practical the reason i wrote 100 easy piano Classics is because I, I wrote the european piano method before and i used to go to The book that is called Essential Keyboard Rep, which you probably know there are two books. The second book is slightly more confusing than the first one. The first one is almost great. But there are challenges that are problematic for early intermediate students. The double notes. It's a great concept. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. It can be hard. (laughs) You shouldn't give it to somebody who is still uh, trying to figure out what the note, like, one space above from the treble clef is mm-hmm. it's a little bit too much information and i also find out that by taking some of these difficulties out of this pieces it makes their confidence level go mm-hmm. up they feel happy that they can accomplish this and it's a win-win situation because two years Later, they're going to be playing Clementi and Cullo with no problems whatsoever. And at that point, explaining what the secondary right. voice is, is a breach.
1: I'm interested in how you're talking in very specific detail about making a piece at a reasonable level of difficulty and how much you keep track of things like double notes and octave stretches to get to the pieces to the point where mm-hmm. they're doable for less advanced students. Right. Do you have a specific rubric you consult when you write these arrangements? Do you test your arrangements out on your own students? Or do you more just use your intuition?
0: No, I know what I'm doing. I know a, a lot of them are written for a particular student.
1: And then when you,
0: when you, when you write the things that are not uh, targeted towards somebody, you already kind of like got used to it. Remember the Bergmaier piece that everybody wants to play? The uh, arabesque. Mm-hmm. That's thing. Yes. Right, right, right. So there's that transition from the first section to the second section that nobody can (laughs) ever play. This is my version of this. Because the original one was uh, something like...
1: Mm, More chromatic.
0: uh, Wonderful music, (laughs) and usually a a good stopping point for learning this, and for the recital, it's just a sure way to that it's going to crash
1: if they play it early mm-hmm.
0: enough. If, if they play it later when that's not a problem, they probably shouldn't be playing their problem.
1: That makes sense. That's good to know that intuition alone is sufficient for writing best-selling arrangements. Finally, I'd like to turn to today when you, like all other artists, are trying to figure out what to do given the constraints of the pandemic. You make a lot of live at home videos on Facebook and these videos show how eclectic your interests are since you use pieces from a wide variety of styles. Can you talk about what inspired these videos and how you select repertoire?
0: Well, originally it was very simple. Uh, I went to teach, and we were told in the middle of the day that the store is closed and everybody goes home. So I came home and sat at the piano and recorded the episode number one. And <laughs> just launched off from there, right? And then I realized, like, okay, so let's vary it a little. Let's add some uh, classical music and and some of the things I've added just easy pieces because my students are playing them and they're wonderful and all this. And some pieces are like deadly difficult, like Chopin's Polonaises or something like that. And it's like, yeah, you work on it for two weeks and then you proudly present. And it's like, uh, I hope I never have to do that again. Uh, And then that went. And then I've recorded the two voice inventions about 20 years ago. So I was like, okay, so let's pull the two voice inventions. I was like, okay, so if I'm playing two voice inventions, why don't I do three voice inventions? Mm And I was like, okay, since I'm doing this, why don't I do the interval temper clavier? Which is what I did. Wow. And I was and like, ambitious. okay, I don't necessarily want to go for, for the English and French suites now. Let's do something else. Uh, what else? I don't want to play Beethoven too many and, and very time consuming and not necessarily my favorite. Mozart. So I've recorded all Mozart. Now I'm on Clementi. So so, the, the, so that's, the, that's, that's the popular part of this. Um, Quite often, I have special guests, and since we are still under some sort of lockdown, so it's limited amount of, like, occasional like this, but that's what I'm doing later today. That's what I did last week uh, with one of the Atlanta radio DJs, so
1: that kind of thing, and whatever they want to play, that's what, because you can't play many gigs right now. Yes, you do. You can. But I think it also is probably a great way to get motivation to stay practicing. I know a lot of my musician friends are finding it hard to keep as disciplined of a practice schedule as they used to. So I think doing those regular concerts is probably a great motivator. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Can you, uh, before we sign off, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about how they can learn more about you? uh
0: <laughs> I have no idea uh, you'll probably po- you'll probably post my website which has some links to it it's stephanie.com um you can search for my name on shit music plus it'll come up with 6 thousand titles you can search for my name on YouTube it'll come up with 6 thousand titles I'm on uh, Facebook which is like one of the main platforms where all of these live concerts are happening um I don't even know <laughs> That's okay. That gives us a great place to start. I mean, I, I, I'm published by like five, six different companies, including Mel Bay and Ship Music Plus directly. Um, my TV music, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> okay. That says a lot about the publishing world. Well, I mean, I, I get the check and, then, and usually I get the list of people who, like, Good Morning America, I don't know what episode I was on. Really? I, I know the name of the piece that they've used. I don't remember what it was, but I have no wow. idea. When it was like early in the game, it was fun because I was like, "Oh my God, somebody's gonna die on one life to leave. I know somebody's gonna die because I just recorded like four organ pieces that are they're
1: very very different. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I have never thought about that point before that the composer has a little glimpse into the plot <laughs> before the general public.
0: And my 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 uh, ex grandmother in law many many years ago they were all big fan, fans of the show and i was like oh, i hope that that Greece or craig or whatever is not gonna die i was like i hate to break it to you <laughs> but i wrote
1: the death music
0: but we, we already we, we already buried the <laughs> okay well
1: i really appreciate again that you coming on the podcast and taking your time to do this thanks so much for coming this is fun thank you thank you and thanks to all of you for tuning in to all keyed up creative conversations for today's piano teachers i'll see you next time